Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. I am joined today by Aaron Hoffman, who is the CEO, founder of a company called SafeGraph. Uh, he's also, Aaron, or and if you don't mind me saying so, a bit of a, a data expert, all things data, not just geodata, but, but, but data in general, which um, is proven every week on your excellent data podcast, um, which I'll let you introduce and explain uh, as well. Introduce yourself, please, Aaron. Tell us um, who you are, and, and then let's dive right in. Sure. I'm Oren Hoffman. Uh CEO of SafeGraph, as you mentioned, like everybody nowadays, I have also a podcast called World of DAS, where we talk about data businesses, uh, which I'm very passionate about, and then also very involved in PlaceKey, which is a a way of uh, doing entity matching for places data. And if I understand correctly, your background was not, it was much more on the data side rather than the geospatial side before you, before you did SafeGraph, is that right? Yeah, that's right. My, uh, my background is on data. Uh, before SafeGraph, I started a company called LiveRamp. LiveRamp is the largest middleware provider for marketing technology. It's a public company, trades under RAMP, um, and it maybe has, um, it's the dominant provider for, that, for, for middleware for moving data between marketing technology stacks. And um, like probably many people listening to this podcast, I'm a software developer. That's how I started. Okay. And then one day you sat up and said, you know what? This data is great, but it's not the real stuff, the geodata. And that's where the magic <laughs> yeah, exactly. is, right? That was, so, so what prompted you to do SafeGraph? And what exactly is SafeGraph? Give us, um, give us the so, better Yeah, so. SafeGraph sells uh, really boring uh, data about physical places. So if you want to learn about a physical place, um, like the Italian restaurants near me and the opening and, and closing hours of those Italian restaurants, or a polygon of the Italian restaurant, or the, even things like you know the the the, the subcategories and tags. Um, is it family friendly? Um, is it uh, um, you know all, all the phone number, the website, etc. That's the type of data that we have. So this very boring factual data about physical places. So, so your classic POI database, basically, if I understand. POI right. database, exactly. And, and where are you sourcing this data from? What and what? What's unique about what SafeGraph is doing versus? I mean, this is not a new concept. So what? Yeah, what, exactly. Um, so SafeGraph crawls the web to get its data, um, and we crawl four main sources. So we crawl um, the. Uh, the, the the brand website. So if there's a brand, we crawl for, a little over 14,000 brands between every week and every month. So we crawl like the McDonald's brand um, and the Hilton brand, etc. Then we also crawl data from like cities, counties, government. So we'll crawl data from like the city of Berlin, the city of Sydney, the city of San Francisco, etc. Um, and that data tends to be not great, but it um, but it has some gold in there, so you have to like throw out a lot of stuff. Then we the third source that we crawl data from is uh, is is directories. So you know the big directories people are aware of are things like TripAdvisor or Yelp or stuff. But there's thousands of mini directories. There's like the vegan directory of Schenectady, New York. Even you know there's tons of stuff like that. So we're crawling all these different directories that are out there, and then we also crawl job boards because we also have data about things like warehouses 
warehouses and factories and stuff. And job boards can be pretty helpful for that type of data. So that's those are the main that's the main source of our data. The, the, those four different types of crawl sources. We're crawling hundreds of thousands of places of of different sites every single month. Okay, so then you've got the data. Then what? What do you do with it? And and what's the? How are you going to make money with that data? So we sell data. Just think of it like. You know, the simple way to think of it is like a big spreadsheet of data, like rows and columns. And so the the key is that we have the, the row that you care about and we have the column that you care about. And then also the most important thing is that the fact that we have about that is true. So if we say, you know, this place opens at 7 a.m. on Tuesdays, ideally that is correct and it doesn't open at 6 a.m. Or, or 8 a.m. Um, and we're wrong all the time and we have billions and billions of facts, so we're wrong all the time and we might um, you know someone uh, uh, a local search provider might buy our data and then someone shows up to a cafe we said it opens at 7 a.m and they show up at 7 15 it's not open till eight and um, and so we have to keep getting better every single uh, every single week uh, and if we're wrong we have to make sure that we're correcting it really fast challenging <laughs> very challenging yeah given, it's super challenging given my own uh, experiences with data right and so and so just for the benefit of our listeners this is worldwide that you're working on or that you're focused on the u.s market or the yeah North we originally start we started in the u.s um and u.s is still our biggest market we have uh, about almost 30 million points of interest in the u.s that we cover and again we update every single one of those every month um but now we have data all over the world um for a brand like a br- the mcdonald's We'll cover every single McDonald's around the world, so we make sure that we cover that in every in every place, in every geography, in every language that it's in. Um, but then we specifically dive into certain places, places like Japan and Germany, the UK, France, Italy, Spain, um, other places that um, Poland is is a big place for us. So other places that our customers really want us to like deeply dive into, and that's growing every month. Give us a sense of who those customers are. I mean, I don't know if you can name specific names or just what profile, what type of people these are. We have a lot of different. The good thing about a data business is you can sell to lots of different places. The bad thing about a data business is you can sell to a lot of different places. Um, and so um, we have lots of different types of customers in different industries. The big industries that we have are like the big mapping providers. So um, just think of like anyone except Google Maps. Those would be the types of companies that either we currently sell into, and most of the big ones are our customers, and they're or the ones that we want to sell into. Um, then there. Are are the um, uh, like? There's a lot of these marketing and ad networks. So if you like out of home ads or if you're location based ads, those happen to be very good customers for us. We do a lot of stuff in logistics. So anyone who's doing like delivery, moving trucks around, anything like that, they're trying to like get something to a grocery store or a factory. Those are really good um, customers for us. Um, we sell a lot to uh, like certain things in financial services where they have to parse information. And so they need some sort of true set to like relay it to, to parse the information. So if you're going to like parse data from like a credit card transaction and you have to relay it to a McDonald's at 555 Main Street, you need to know the truth of it. So those are good customers for us. And um, we have a ton of other types of customers as well. So it's a, it's a pretty broad base of customers. You know, We are selling mostly to product and engineering teams who can take the SafeGraph data and then bring that into whatever product they have and then we're a component of that product okay got it all right let me ask you one 
one question as someone who's also worked in data businesses and does it currently, how do you, how do you set the price for something like this? It's quite, uh, I mean, traditionally, you know, in, if you go to go to business school, they advise you to do kind of a value based pricing, figure out what value the customer's going to get from it and, you know, charge one cent less or something like that. But that's quite difficult with this data approach because you don't really know how they're going to use it and how valuable it is for them. So how do you, how do you guys take that? How do you handle that? Yeah. First of all, I think it's okay to underprice. Um, and so you, you, there's no reason, no, no sense maximizing every single dollar. Like you want your customers to get a lot of value. They need, they need to have a very high ROI and they'll figure it out quickly. So even if you try to overcharge them in year one, if, you know, the it, it excelling to an enterprise is very expensive. We sell to large enterprises, um, and selling to them is very expensive. It takes a very long time. Our sales cycles are very long, and so if so, if a customer is only with you for one year, we basically lose money. Um, the only way we make money is if that customer is with us for a long time. So you you want to make sure that a um, you're charging them a fair price. You don't want to be overcharging them. You want to make sure they have high ROI on that data, and that b that it is actually the right fit for them. And you know, a good salesperson could a good like and a good salesperson can sell to uh, somebody who doesn't need the product. But a great salesperson, they make sure that the customer truly needs the product before they sell to them, um, because they want to really make that they have to really make sure this is a long term opportunity. Um, and so, f- making sure both of those things have to be true. That have to have a really good ROI, and they have to truly need the data. Sometimes data is sexy and you want to go buy the data and you spend 100K on data and then it kind of sits on a shelf. That's a terrible customer. Like You really want them to embed that data in their product and get value out of it as quickly as possible. How do you do that? Because it, one of the challenges we often face is that, particularly when these are these very large data sets, right? it requires a bit of technical expertise. And and so very often, you know, our customer is someone, let's say, in the marketing department or whatever, and they understand the value of the data, but they themselves don't have the technical expertise to get the value out of it. And then they don't have control over the engineering resources. And so, of course, we try to, you know, the standard approach is you try to make it very easy for them and you make SDKs and things like that. But it can be a real struggle, right, to get to get them to actually achieve the value. Any thoughts on that, or how do you? How do you? How, well, I, I think it's different though? for different engineer for different kind of companies. But for SafeGraph, our primary customer is the engineering and product team. So these are people who are building products. They're either building an internal product, so they're building they're a retailer and they're building an internal product for their internal teams, or they're actually building an external product that they sell. Um, and so they're very capable teams. They're building something, and then we are in. We're kind of there's a product requirement that they need really good data. Um, they already have that requirement. Hopefully, by the time that they're talking to us, and now they're trying to figure out, okay, what's the best data vendor? What's what? Who's who's the most accurate? Who's going to give me the data in the easiest way? Who's going to allow you know? Who's going to give it to me in a way that's going to take up the least amount of time of my engineering team? Um, but the nice thing is, almost all of our customers are very technical. Like the, the person that we're talking to is fairly technical. They're fairly advanced. They, now there are some exceptions, and we've got 
plenty of times where where um, you know we wish the other side was more technical, but the vast majority of the folks that we sell into are fairly technical. Now that limits our sale. Um, it would be much easier if we could sell to a broad based of approach. Like you know, for instance, we have we have many retail we have some retailers that are our customers, but most retailers couldn't buy us. They don't have the technical ability to buy our data. It would be great if we had a lightweight solution to sell to everybody, but we don't. Um, so the fact that we only sell to a fairly technical buyer does limit the number of folks that we can sell to. Right. Yeah. I've seen this with several companies that they have, they have the valuable data and they just can't really, you know, there's such a challenge technically, conceptually to actually get the value out of the data and, and, you know, finding the customers who can actually achieve the value is really not as trivial as it sounds. Um, you know, especially when you're doing massive volumes of data. Um, so I guess, how do you, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the themes that you explore in your podcast, or what do you see are the major trends in data? Because, I mean, what you've described as SafeGraph, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of secrets off, but fundamentally it's like get the data, aggregate the data, clean up the data, and then sell the data, right, to someone who can give value. Of so, so this is a very traditional model. Um, but we see now so, so many changes happening, be it on the privacy side of things with GDPR and, and, and the various privacy laws, be it with AI, be it with just the fundamental fact that we are now drowning in data, right? I mean, we, we, and to some degrees, we have this paradox. I mean, we have, we have companies like yourself who are doing very well selling data. But on the other hand, we, we, you know, on the other side of things, people, people have so much data, they don't even know what to do with it. So yeah. take, it, take us through some of these themes that you've been exploring. And I think there's a few ways to get a, if you want to get a premium for data um, and you want to, um, I think there's a few ways to get a premium for your data. So one way to get a premium for data is to really, really focus on accuracy. There is a small number of customers that really care about accuracy. Not everybody cares about it, but some customers really care about it, and they're willing to pay a premium for that. So if you can, if you are way more accurate than the next player in the market, and also you can somehow prove that, and sometimes even if you are, it's sometimes hard to prove it. Um, then that's one way to charge a premium. The other way to charge a premium is really make the data really easy to use. Um, so you, you have to think, okay, your customer, in our case, our customers like these engineers, these engineers, their time is incredibly valuable. So how do we make it as easy for them to pos- as possible to use our data and to have, take as least time as possible to, to go do it. So like our docs, the, the if you go to docs.safegraph.com, our docs in some ways are part of our product. Like we put a lot of effort into the docs. Um, we make basically all of our accounts, all of our fill rates, all of our um, deep dives into the data, we make it all public. There's no like PDF. It's literally live. We update it every single month. Um, we're completely transparent. Here's our bugs. Here's our problems. We publish our bugs from the month before. Um, so here's what's going so they can they can see what's going on. So the docs themselves, and then we we 
into, and then we, you know, just the schema, how beautiful is your schema? How easy is it to understand? Um, how, you know, can you change it if it's, if it's, if it's problematic? Can you push it in? Like they use Snowflake, great, push it into Snowflake. There's Databricks, great. They use Azure, whatever it is. Like you can push it, you can, you, you, they shouldn't have to go like pick it up to your system and grab it. You should be able to get it into theirs in a way that's easiest for them. And like, Every one of those things, you know, maybe saves them an hour here, an hour there, four hours here, three hours. But like those, those incremental hours really add up. And you, you think about just the value of that engineer. That engineer is fairly high paid. You know, um, they're they're also have like a lots of demands on their time. Most of these companies don't have enough of them. Um, and and so if you really think of like, okay, I'm going to save this engineering time, engineer time as part of your product, then that also can can you can you can in some way charge a premium for that. Anyone go like, you know, go download data somewhere, but like now you can really charge, you know, you can charge a little bit, a bit of a premium at least, not a massive premium if, if you, if you can do those types of things. I agree with everything you're saying, Lauren, but let me push back a bit here. So improving the accuracy, how do you do that when you, you know, at the end of the day, you're just getting the data from some other source. So let, you know, let's use your example of the McDonald's website, right? If it's wrong on McDonald's website, it's going to be challenging for you to fix it, right? I mean, so how do you and and well, we they're, what they're we've seen almost is every source yeah. of errors. Yeah, that's right. So, in the case of McDonald's, we're probably seeing that McDonald's in like twenty five sources. Okay, um, not one. Now, now the McDonald's website and probably is the best source for that particular McDonald's. But McDonald's, you know, I, I'm very familiar with McDonald's. McDonald's is franchised, and so the I, the franchises. I yeah, just choosing McDonald's so, as an no, example, but it's a great, but. it's a great, it's a great thing to dive into because the even though you go to McDonald's.com website, the franchisor is the one that owns the McDonald's. The McDonald's corporate is like one layer removed from exactly. that particular McDonald's um, in you know in Albuquerque, New Mexico, or something, and so that data might not be right, and there might be another place that you crawl where the data might be correct, and so you do need to multi-source it. You need to have a sense of what's going on. You need to have a way of checking it up. Um, you need to have a QA effort to go do that. Um, and, um, and then you need to very, you, you need to be humble, uh, because your data, even if it was correct a few weeks ago, doesn't mean that, you know, even if you write about the store hours a few weeks ago, it doesn't mean you're right about it today. Store hours change quite often. The average store changes the store hours at least, you know, uh, three or four times a year. Um, so you're, you're at a very high rate of change, you know, kind of like, let's say more than 10% a month kind of change on that particular metric and uh, and so you've got you've got to be humble that hey we we may be wrong and we need to figure out a way to fix this quickly if we are wrong yeah I, I mean we at Geomob we've had uh, I think two or three different presentations by startups that their whole job is helping these huge chains like the McDonald's or the Starbucks of this world get their data live and out and things like that because frankly the, the the HQ is not able to do it because exactly as you say like you know there's so many there are franchisees there are there there's so many local conditions that are changing you know the world is just a chaotic place and it's changing and um, but this is one thing that we grapple with quite a lot because very often I have people you know 
at the end of the day, everyone is always like, well, that's the data I got. <laughs> and, you know, and everyone, everyone blames the next link in the chain, right? Yeah, and, well, I, you can't do that when you're, when you're ultimately the, if you're, if you're the true POI company, if you're the ultimate data company like SafeGraph, like, we, we don't have anyone to blame. So if right. we're wrong, it's our fault. It's not, and we're wrong all the time. Like, it's frustrating. It's very hard. We have billions and billions of facts. Like, it is hard to be correct. Um, and, you know, we're just trying to get better a little bit better every month. We show we're, we we show how wrong we were the month before to all of our customers. So you you know of course if we were massively wrong last month we're going to still be wrong this month. We 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 show them all of our bugs. Here's the problems. Here's the things that we solved. It's hard, and we we try to again is that you have to have that humility um, to say look this is a super hard problem. You know there there are companies out there that say like we're ninety nine point eight percent accurate. Like I can be I don't know how accurate we are. It's so hard to measure sometimes, but like I can be confident we're not that. Like it is hard. It's a it's a no, slog. It's, it's it's very hard. And I and I think people who don't work in these data processing chains day to day do not conceive. I mean, like you know exactly. What you say conceptually, it's so easy to say. Oh, of course, McDonald's has the correct information on their website. Absolutely, they do not. They do not. Yeah. <laughs> okay, because because it's just the world is a crazy chaotic place, and and that you know there's so many. No, by the way, like and- not everyone cares about the data being super accurate. Um, it's you know for many people, like if the data is fifty percent accurate, that's fine. If you're if you're doing marketing. 50% accurate is actually pretty good. Like, you know, back in a long time ago, I used to do more, I used to be in the marketing data and, you know, they would have like gender on people and it was like gender was like 70% <laughs> accurate. Right. And that was fine. Like that's totally fine. That was like better than throwing a dart, right? Or flipping a coin, um, and it worked. Um, so it really depends on what you what you're trying to accomplish. So you know, we we are selling to a very discerning customer that really cares about accuracy. That's not everybody. And sometimes we're talking to them, and we talk to them, and they're like, and you realize very quickly that that's not like the most important thing that they care about. Then they're not right for us, and they're, they're, there's probably another company who's better for that. So you have to know who your customer is and build your product around that customer. We, we definitely see that with geocoding. It's shocking because very often people think accuracy is the, is the absolute be all you know must have and it's actually not the case there are many customers who you know they don't want super precise accuracy so. yeah and geocoding is a good it's a really good example like maybe you just don't want it to be really bad right and so maybe you don't want it to be more than like 500 meters off or something that would be like you know and then you know but you don't need it to be like within one meter or you know or so, so you're like but maybe some people like they only care about it if it's like precisely accurate. Um, and if it's not precisely accurate, so everyone will have a different tolerance for it depending on what they're doing. Yeah, that, this was one thing that was quite surprising to me when I got deep into geocoding. There are actually people who don't want it to be accurate because of privacy issues and things like that. So, Oh, yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. So anyway, let's let's um, move on and talk a bit about your PlaceKey initiative, um, which is one of the, the efforts that you guys have to, to get more value out of the data. Um, before, before I let you introduce that, though, I should say you recently did an episode on the Mapscaping podcast where you went very deep on kind of the technology of PlaceKey and things like that. So um, we will get that episode in the show notes, and everyone uh, who wants to go super deep should should give that a listen. It's an excellent episode. But oh, give, thank you. Give us, tell us exactly what PlaceKey is and, and what the what the problem is that you're solving there. PlaceKey is really simple. It's just 
entity matching system for places. So it's really about merging, deduping, linking, syncing data about a place. And the way we define a place is um, um, it, it, it usually has some sort of address or partial address. Um, and sometimes it may it, it may have like a name of a place, like a McDonald's or, or something like that as the name of the place. Um, and so th those are the things that we're really focused on about linking and merging those things. And, and we use it internally in SafeGraph. So if you think of like, as you mentioned that McDonald's example, we may have um, we, we may have data from 25 different sources about this particular McDonald's at 454 Pine Street in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we need to merge them all together. Um, and we want to merge all 25 out of 25. We don't want to merge 20 out of 25. And we also don't want to merge 30 out of 25, right? Um, and so making sure you have a very high accurate merge with very few false positives and very few false negatives is very difficult because address data is super messy. Many times it's keyed in by a person. Many times it's misspelled. So you'll see like a mean street instead of a main street. You'll see yes. lots of different like misspellings happen like all the time. It's extremely common. The data is very, very dirty. And you want to be able to merge it as accurately as possible. And so the place key, though, is based on the address? Or what, what do you do when the address changes? Like the road is renamed or, or things like that. Would that change the key? or? Uh, if, if the, as long as the place doesn't move, the key shouldn't move. Um, so if 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 the if a, if a name if a road gets if a road gets renamed or something like that it should ideally have the same key, um, and so it should be able to say or you know and sometimes roads have many different names, so, um, and right, so there's lots of scenarios or whatever yeah. yeah yeah so lots of times you know if you think of or even a place like if you think of in in Manhattan um, you'll see like 204 West Broadway is also 46 Spring Street it's, the building gotcha. is the same and so if your apartment 405 you could have either address, and it should ideally go to the same place. So the logic has to get really good over time to be able to do that and make sure that that merge is happening. Well, this is such a difficult problem. I get, I do get asked about this occasionally uh, working in geocoding. And so, you know, there's so many permutations where the, the building can stay exactly the same, but then the address changes. It can be that the building changes, right? Like a, the building gets, you know, if one one shopping complex is split into two, so that becomes two new keys, or or one of them keeps the old key and then one gets a new key, or yeah, it, it depends on the yeah. There, all these things depend on many many different types of scenarios. It's not it's it, it's the 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 ideal though is that if a human would merge it, knowing knowing with full information, knowing all this stuff. Could you actually do the same thing with 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 programmatically, you know, with with billions and billions of pings, really really fast, really cheap? The whole idea with PlaceKey is that it's very high performance, it's very fast, and for most of the users, it's free. You can do three hundred thousand pings a month for free, um, and so and and even for the ones that pay, we try to make it really 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 cheap, and that means there's a lot of things you have to do technically to make sure that it. Can can be really, really cheap. So, so just so I understand, this is a, a centralized API. So, if I want to use PlaceKey, I, I send you addresses, coordinates, or whatever, and I get back a, a PlaceKey. Is that correct? And that, yeah, exactly. And the reason, okay. yeah, exactly. And so, because the reason these merges are constantly happening, it's constantly getting better. Um, that's out there, and it's really trying to figure out. And the matching logic is very, very complex to match all these things. So, there's a there's a whole bunch of 
you know, both there's like, there's a whole bunch of machine learning stuff. There's a whole bunch of LLM stuff. There's a whole bunch of other things. And then that stuff gets, in some ways, if you think about it, like gets compiled. So you can do it really fast and performantly um, because you wouldn't be able to use like an LLM every time somebody pinged. That would be really, really slow and very expensive. Um, So can you, can you, can you make it into a way that's super performant so that you can use it at scale? So, Putting on now my my OpenStreetMap hat, Orin, I have to I have to push back there a little in the sense of is it is it a good idea for me to use? I mean, I understand all those issues, the technical issues of why why it's better to be a centralized service and that you can gather get all the fixes and improve it, but it doesn't feel great to have one you know one company controlling that this identifier, right? Wouldn't it be better to have an open source system in some way, shape, or form? Well, the identifier is open, so you can store it, you can use it, you can trade it. Once you once you once you have the identifier, if someone else has that identifier, you can match it with them right away. So there's a bunch of cities now that are like releasing their data with a place key, and then you could just match it. You don't have to. And then for whatever reason, if you want to stop using it, you can. It's just a, all it is is entity matching system. So think of it as any type of like entity matching software, matching software. Hopefully, it's useful in being able to take two or more data sets, put them together. Or even if you have one data set, if you're finding the dupes and stuff in it, hopefully it's super useful for you to go do that. And if you're not getting used, of course, don't use it. And then if there's ever a point, maybe there is a better one that comes out, use that instead. Um, or if there's one that's more open, use it. It's just, you know, software. No, I, yeah, I, like. I do understand. You know, the if you use Excel and then like maybe an open source Excel comes out or use Google Sheets and an open source Google Sheets come out, uh, you know, we're using this podcast right now with Squad cast or something and which is great and maybe at some point an open source squad cast comes out and we can use that one no no i'm i'm, I'm not that dogmatic but and i and i do understand yeah you know the centralization leads to a better system in that obviously it's better if all the errors get centralized in one place and we can improve it nevertheless you know it, it it's worrisome i would say for if i'm depending on some system and it, you know it's controlled by a private entity who you know who knows what how their policies could come and go or or whatever you know that's the that i guess that would be my my long-term concern, right? Totally. So. I mean, I think it's a legitimate concern. And one of the things that we we try to do at with PlaceKey is really make it easy for you to leave. Um, so we allow you to store the keys. We allow you to do everything. You know, you know, there's no lock-in. If it's not working, for, if it's working for you today, but not working for you a month from now, you're you're free to leave. There's no, no, no. There's no like commit that you have to stay on. You don't have to delete the keys when you leave. You don't have to just. You know, it's it's um, the, the keys themselves are open. Um, there's just a, a centralized service, and the reason is is because we learn from everybody. We get the bugs from everybody. You have lots of. We don't have very many false positives, but we still have a decent number of false negatives. And people like you know, people let us know. And of course, you're we're giving we're we're giving you a match in sub milliseconds, right? You know, in in let's say twenty milliseconds time. Um, then we take the data that didn't match well, and every week we rerun it in a much more you know in, in, a, in a in a more of a batch format where we can start to learn. We say, oh, we messed up here. We did this, or there's this there's this misspelling that we could have done, and then we bring that in so that hopefully the next week where we will we'll catch that and we'll do a better job on it. Gotcha. Not easy, man. <laughs> Not easy. I don't I don't envy the team working on that. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> so um... totally. 
Um, all right. Well, I guess as as we as we near the end here, Arn, what what are the kind of let's look forward a bit into the new year. What are the what are the trends that you know, you're interested in and that you see in data coming forward? What 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 can we get excited about in 2024 in the world of data? Well, I mean, the thing that I most that most excites me in general is being able to join data together. So that's where we really get to the power of data. That's where we really ask and be able to answer, both ask and answer some of the deepest questions of humanity if we can join data sets together. Data is so siloed today. And part of the, there's some reasons it's siloed that, that don't have to do with joining data together. But one of the, one of the big you know, reasons that data is siloed is that it's hard to, to, hard to mash up with one another. And the more we can join it, so that's why we've really focused on PlaceKey. We focused on initially just for our own use case at SafeGraph because like, we were selling people data and they were buying it from us and then they weren't able to join it with their own data. Um, and so they they weren't having a way of, of making our data more valuable to them and they were using it, but if they joined it with the data that they already had, then our data would be more valuable and they would be happier. So that's how we initially started, like, great, like allow you to use it for your own data and then we just made it open for everyone to join data. But you're a professor and you've got two data sets and you want to join that data, put it together. So I'm very excited that we are we are getting to a point where joining data is easier. And you know, place keys about places data, but you can imagine joining data about companies, you can manage joining data about products, you can manage joining data about lots of different types of things. And the more that we're able to join the data in the future, the more we're able to really unlock like the secrets of humanity. All right. Well, we're not that on, on that cheerful note. I don't think we're going to be able to top that. I mean, once we once we unlock the secrets of humanity, we're done. So, um, absolutely. Very very nice, Aaron. Thanks um, for coming on the show. How? Where should people go if they want to learn more about all these different projects? Besides, of course, they should. I do recommend they subscribe to your podcast. Um, you have a you have yeah. A great, that'd be great uh, if they if they're guests, interested in so. like if they really want to geek out on data, they can check out our World of Das podcast. If somebody wants to reach out to me, I'm at Oren, A-U-R-E-N, on Twitter or X or whatever it's called. Feel free to reach out to me. I will respond directly. And um, and then, of course, safegraph.com and placekey.io um, is where they can get the information about those things. And, of course, we'll have all those links in the show notes. So, um, Great stuff, Oren. All the best for the new year. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Ed. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the GeoMob podcast. Hope you enjoyed the discussion. Get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter where our handle is GeoMob. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at a GeoMob event soon.